Hey good people, welcome to episode 105, straight up chat with my guest, Tara Harrison. Hey hey, welcome to today's episode with my guest Tara Harrison. Make more love, not war. That's the name of Tara's podcast and we get into the subject of having more sex and less arguments in relationships. Now, hands up if that's what you'd prefer. Would you prefer to have more sex and less arguments in your relationship? I reckon you would. So stick around for some gold. Because Tara shares with us some of the insights that she's learned as a licensed professional counsellor. She discovered the need for a podcast as she saw a lot of her male clients at a private practice in Texas who were struggling to understand their female partners. Most of the men were giving it their best shot trying their best strategies to achieve this, but only made things worse. And many times a simple change would improve their relationships dramatically. Tara also had some personal reasons that she wanted this podcast to go live because she wanted to improve her relationship with her husband, Jeff. Since the Make More Love Not War podcast has been launched, Tara's interviewed some amazing experts in love and relationships, authors, professors, therapists and coaches. I've been interviewed on the show just a few months back. Check that out in our show notes, you'll get the link for that. She's created a series that liberates women sexually called Shameless Sexual Revolution. There's some really good fun episodes to listen to in there, but lots of learning as well. And there's another series that highlights power couples as well as couples in conflict. There's so much to learn on her podcast, huge variety. I absolutely recommend it. If there's one thing on this show that I love is that a lot of my guests really do share some of their own story and their own journey. And Tara does that today. And I do appreciate when somebody's willing to go into vulnerability and share something personal to them. And it's a great way for you guys to get to know our guests. And I I just want to shout out to everyone who's been on the show who's shared something about themselves that's personal. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And Tara does that today as well. Let's get into the interview because it's such a great chat and I know you're going to enjoy it. So Tara Harrison, here we go. Tara Harrison, it's a pleasure to have you on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to talk to you again after some time. Yeah, it was September 2018 where I was interviewed on your podcast. And I love, I do love interviewing fellow podcasters. It's it's just fun and the technology generally works. Yes, yes. It was so much fun to have you on. And I just really love the conversation. You had some great stories. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what that was a real pleasure. I'll make sure that the for people listening to this show... They can link back to that show and um, and check it out. So I'll put a link for that in our show notes as well. I also met your daughter Audrey, and our daughter's called Audrey, and they're both awesome humans. And so that was really nice as well. Naturally, <laughs> and I got to meet your daughter Audrey just now. So that was that was really great. It's very circular. Nice. <laughs> so, with what you're doing at the moment, can you maybe just? Give us a real brief. I've given everybody a bit of an intro to you anyway, but how did you come to be doing something you love? Well, um, if there's two things that I love that I'm doing. So I'll just I'll start with the first one because that one has a longer story. But um, I'm, a, I'm a licensed counselor. So I do a relationship therapy, which I'm very passionate about. And that started early on when I was maybe like 
eight years old and my parents would get in fights and somehow I would get in the middle and mediate those fights and my dad would be mad and he'd like storm out of the house or whatever and my mom would be like I don't understand him and so I would explain my dad to my mom and then my dad would come back he'd be like oh she's mad at me and then I'd explain how my mom was feeling to my dad and spurring them back together and (laughs) so my love for relationships started at a really young age and um, I mean, ever since then, I've, I've watched like all of the MTV shows, the dating shows, um, the newlywed shows, like all of that stuff. I grew up just like loving that. And I I still love watching The Bachelor. So for all Bachelor Nation fans, shout out to y'all. You're all awesome. <laughs> so I've always loved relationships and I love love and I, I, I love the work that goes into them, too, not just the fantasy of it. You know, I didn't, I never said I love Disney. I love relationships, like real relationships. And so, yeah, so that, that led me into, um, getting degrees in counseling and and counseling psychology. And, um, I worked with families and special needs kids for a while. So I got to see how, um, that impacted their marriages and, um, that was a really cool experience that people trusted me to come in their homes and work with their children. And, um, but I, I ended up kind of meandering along and then I just basically got into working with, with couples. And I also really love working with men who are in relationships with women or who want to be, and are really just trying to understand women. That's, that's my favorite thing. I've got questions on that that we'll maybe get into later as well. Okay. And so I want to just ask about the, the, the parents side of things so you were mediating the parents at age eight and i mean have they acknowledged that have they sort of have you spoken to them about those times Uh, i have yeah yeah i mean i i probably see myself as more their counselor than they did but um they actually still sometimes will call me to help them out when they're (laughs) in fights but i have i have since gotten a lot healthier boundaries and realized that i am actually not my parents therapist (laughs) but but yeah i mean that's a that's a um conflict of interest isn't it (laughs) it is a bit yes yeah so i stay out of those things now but yeah i mean i think at the time i was pretty young and my parents were also really young so there were a lot of things they didn't really know how to handle with each other and not like i really knew how to handle things but i was kind of a mix of their personalities so i think that's probably why they came to me because i helped them understand each other a little bit more and they both had somebody on their side if you look back at your life growing up, how has that influenced how you got into counseling and uh, all the work you're doing with the podcast? Okay. Well, so I think both negative and positive experiences in my life growing up have brought me here. Um, positive experiences of seeing my seeing my family, my parents are still married, seeing them be able to work through major things in their relationship Looking back, I think I probably knew way too many of the things they were working through uh, for my age, but I learned a lot about how relationships work from them and the amount of work that goes into relationships. Um, so that definitely influenced my me just really being able to know that relationships do take work. And I don't, I don't think I really got sucked into the rom-com Disney fantasies because my parents were really open about their struggles. Um, 
And then, I mean, some negative experiences that brought me into my my mission with the podcast. Uh, so I'll first say that, and then I'll talk about what led me to that. But my mission for the podcast is sexually is liberating women sexually and men emotionally, so we can all have more sex and less fighting. But the the sexual liberation for me took a long time because I I went through childhood sexual abuse as a child, starting at age four. And um, there was a lot of shame and fear around sexuality for me for a long time. And I did not really get any support for that. Um, There was no counseling. It was uh, don't talk about it, you know, sweep it under the rug. It's embarrassing for the family and uh, really felt like I had to handle that on my own. So um, part of part of my mission with making sex more shameless for people is even the ability to talk about negative sexual experiences and for people to feel heard and validated around them so they don't have to go through the same kind of trauma that I went through as a child of just not feeling heard or that that was that that was anything that anybody really cared about it was just like oh this is this bad thing that happened to you and it bad things happen to people all the time and so suck it up and move on. And thanks for sharing that with us. What it seems from trauma and abuse is that as a child, you take it on, you take on the responsibility of it almost. Yeah. It's, at least, you know, that's what I'm getting from the conversations. And um, and that in that way, then that can cause all that shame as you, as you talk about. And uh, in your topics that you sent to me, you said you went from anxious avoidant to secure attachment. And so what do those terms mean, anxious avoidant to secure attachment? Well, uh, so there's there's different attachment styles and they form in the early years of life. So a secure attachment is somebody who knows that people are going to be there for them consistently. The child, we'll say that we're talking about the child forming the attachment, feels like they can go off and explore and they can come back and and their parents are safe. They're going to always be responsive, um, you know, as much as possible. They're going to be responsive and they know that they feel loved, but it's also okay for them to be themselves. And then uh, avoidant attachment usually happens when a child consistently does not get the things that the child needs. The parent might be abusive or violent or just turn away from them or neglectful. And then anxious attachment is when it's is when a child inconsistently gets what they need. So sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't. So they're always trying to figure out how can I get the things I need and who do I need to please to get it? And a lot of people have anxious attachment become really hardcore people pleasers. Hmm. And so that that's kind of, you know, a, a rundown of, of those, of those terms. And what, what I meant by it was that I started off with a secure attachment, but then when um, I started being abused at age four, um, I developed more of an avoidant attachment because I did not feel that I was worthy of care because nobody did get me care from that. And uh, not only that, but even after I had told my parents what happened, they continue to let this man have contact with me, not sexual contact, but um, send me cards. They brought me over to see him after he got into a drunk driving accident, which was scary in itself because he had like these little nails in his head, like because he had broken his neck. I mean, it was just terrifying. (laughs) So um, they 
because they were really big on forgiveness and we need to understand where he was coming from. I guess they thought it was healing if I felt sorry for him instead of someone taking care of me. So that just really uh, led me down this path of, okay, so it looks like my parents are the ones that need to be taken care of. And even at four years old, I knew they couldn't really handle this. So I just stuffed it down inside and I just started avoiding. I, I, um, as soon as I could read, I learned to read at four years old. I was always in a book. I was always escaping. Um, I did not enjoy living in reality. So um, I still love reading, but I, I now enjoy reality as well. But I was that kid who was like walking around reading because I could multitask. I, I was in choir when I was a kid and I sang while reading. Like I did everything while reading because that was safe. Thank you. And you talked about some of the healing as well as the relational healing, EMDR, which is the rapid eye movement. Mm-hmm. Um response and somato emotional release so there's three very interesting uh healing therapies there so what were those experiences for you i mean perhaps somebody listening might not know exactly what some of those are like the sar like the somato emotional release is about it's it's almost like craniosacral therapy in the style and that and there's an emotional there can be an emotional release through that but yeah could you maybe talk to that a little bit some of those experiences yeah so relational healing started for me when I when when I did start therapy, which was in college, and I specifically chose to have a male therapist, and most of my therapists have been men because I wanted to learn to trust men and know that men are loving, and men are not all not all men will hurt me, and so um, I specifically chose a male therapist, and he he was the first person of all the people that I had. T- Told and, and I, I had told people in my family, but everybody uh, denied it. In fact, people told me I was lying. And so he was the first person that believed me. So the first step for me in healing from the abuse was to speak it, you know, and have that validated. Very courageous as well to um, make that conscious decision to sit with a man to do that therapy. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It was, uh, especially at 18 years old. Um, And it was scary at first, but he was recommended by one of my professors and my undergraduate, this this really sweet old man that um, would fall asleep as he was in our class and he seemed really nice. So I I took his recommendation and um, Dr. Olmstead, and I'll never forget Dr. Olmstead. I mean, he was, he, he really, um, he really was a huge influence for me. So, so it, at that time I was doing that therapy and um so and and then I had my first boyfriend in college and he really so that's part of the relational healing too is that he be, he believed me also and he was incredibly gentle and kind about I mean in, in general he was he was a good person but he about, around the abuse he was and I was really afraid of sexual experience and so we never uh, we dated for about a year we never had inter- uh, penetration sex because I was really afraid of that and he never pushed me once um, and he was just um, incredibly understanding he taught me a lot of things that I didn't know how to do but it felt very safe. And so that was part of that relational healing for me as well, is just to, to live that this, that um, not, again, all men are like this. Um, and that he, he became, he was angry about it with me and he was, 
was angry at my parents and, and gave me permission to be angry at my parents because I was too afraid to do that, especially because I was financially dependent on them and they were paying for my therapy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was, that was the big first step and, and the relational healing has happened um, in, in other relationships too. And of course, currently with my, that was my first Jeff, the Jeff that I'm married to now, my final Jeff, um, had, we've had a lot of relational healing together too, because I'm healing from childhood sexual abuse. It just feels like it takes a lifetime, but different things come up along different stages. And he's been, um, he's been very healing to me as well. And, and a lot of exploration, um, sexual exploration that's helped freed me from a lot of the sexual shame that I grew up with too. You're listening to Straight Up Chats, the Man Bits podcast. This is an opportunity now to switch pace and I'm going to throw some questions at you which are unplanned and okay it's called the it's called the middle bits it's a little bit of a quick fire session okay what's your number one tip for a fulfilled life Ooh, the more that we can accept people that other people are not like us and that that's okay the happier we will be and the way that I describe that is that it's like if I handed you, um, if, if I was handing everybody a memo that said, dear world, be like me or else love Tara. That is pretty much the source of all of our pain is the, the need for other people to be like us and the lack of understanding that they're not. And if we can accept that other people like us and they're, they're following their own paths then I think that we, there'd be a lot more peace within us as individuals. Thank you. If there was a lesson you've learned since school that you feel should be taught in school, what would that lesson be? Oh, financial planning. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> it's not taught in school at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. That's just, that's one of my big ones as well. Yeah. Just simple budgeting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like not learning by whack, racking up credit cards, actually learning by not being in debt. Mm, I learned how to manage money by having to dig myself out of £50,000 debt. <laughs> That's my big lesson. If there was a word of intention that you could choose, so if you could choose one word and that word sets your intention for, let's say, the next, for the coming months, the coming 12 months ahead, what would that word be? Joy. The word joy is coming to mind. Okay, went with the gut there. Yeah. And uh, what are you grateful for today? Well, I'm grateful for right now, I'm grateful for technology, for being able to have this conversation with you. Um, that's one thing. I'm grateful that my family is well. Um, I'm grateful that um, I have a lot of chocolate at my house always. That's something to be grateful for. Um, I'm I'm grateful for freedom of speech that we can have a conversation about sex and sexuality and being able to talk about topics that can that can be um, very sensitive for people to hear and that we can have these conversations freely. That's wonderful, and I I love that because 
for the people who come onto the show and and go onto your show, and and for you and for I to actually go out there and put ourselves out in a place where we're, we're willing to to share something that's sensitive, it takes a huge courage, and there's a risk involved there. I think. Thank you in the middle here thank you very much for you know sharing everything you've shared so far and uh, and continuing to do what you do it's great you're welcome it's it's a good point you make there as well because i wanted to ask you about the podcast uh, make more love not war it's a podcast that helps you have more sex and less fighting in the relationships and the focal point is sex. Um, there's more to it, though. There's lots of variation in the show, which I love. So what was it that made you decide, I'm going to create a podcast and I want to talk about sex? What is it you wanted people to get out of it? Well, there's something that I that my husband and I just discovered together and that I did not realize. And I, I had a lot of... Um, I, I I just didn't have understanding around this for what how men experience sex. And so this was something that, that he and I talked about together and I came to this realization that for 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 me as a woman, I need to feel emotionally safe. I need to feel like I trust the person that I'm with to be able to open myself up sexually. That doesn't mean that what people can't have sex with people they don't feel emotionally connected with. But what I mean is to really open myself up sexually to be able to be fully in, in the experience um, that I need that emotional safety first. And this was, so this I was also seeing with a lot of couples too. And, and that my husband as a man needs to have the emotional connection through sex to be able to feel like he can open up his heart. So there is an impasse there, right? Because women are saying, you know, I need this emotional safety. I need you to open up your heart to me and be vulnerable. I need you to show me that you care to be able to open myself up sexually to you and be a beast in the bedroom and go all crazy and stuff like that. And then he's saying, but I need that for me to be able to open up my heart or else I don't feel secure. I don't feel respected. I don't feel loved by you without that intimacy. So so there's a bridge that needs to be built there. Yes, absolutely. That is that bridge of understanding because when I after I we realized this together, when I would talk to clients about this, I would talk to women and I would explain this to them and this was news to them as well. They were all like, "Oh wow, I didn't realize I just thought that he was I mean, I just thought that he was just really horny all the time and like he just just bugging me for sex all the time. And, um, and I, you know, and I felt like it was a burden and that's a, that's a common thing that women talk about. And so there's a, there's, there's many layers to that. It's not just, um, that she's not getting emotionally fulfilled. And so she doesn't want to open up sexually. It's also that, women carry around all of the shame about sexuality and the the messages that um, women are not supposed to like sex very much because then you risk being a whore. And if you're a mother, you probably shouldn't, you really shouldn't like sex because then, you know, you're a mother. So I mean, when mothers are not allowed to be sexual and sex is for men, it's not for women. So if you like sex, maybe you're crazy because women actually were imprisoned and killed for loving sex and they were given lobotomies in the past for that. And so there's all this history of shame around sex for women. And then also there is 
shame around sex for men too, of feeling like, well, I don't want, um, I don't want her to feel like I'm going to hurt her or feeling misunderstood around their need and desire for sex. That it's not just like, I just want to fuck you or something like, I'm sorry if you have to edit that out. I just want to screw you or something like that. Um, but that like he, he derives so much more than that from sex. Everybody does. Everyone can, you know? And so with that huge impasse, I, I want, I start, I wanted to start the podcast for that. But I also wanted to start it so my husband and I could talk about these things more because we were struggling to talk about stuff and he didn't want to go to therapy. So you brought <laughs> he, it to I him. Mean, my, I'm a therapist. <laughs> yeah. So I brought it to him because I wanted him to feel safe and realizing that that key thing that he's not like me who feels totally comfortable in therapy, he would feel comfortable that this was our business together. And so I brought it to him and it's it's created, I mean, we have such a, such an amazing relationship now. It was fine before it was good, but it's amazing now because we've been able to talk about all this stuff. You mentioned something earlier when you talked about, um, you sort of in one way or another said about men not being present. You know, they need to be emotionally present uh, in intimacy. And so, and I think that's common that a guy probably gets a bit in his head, too far in his head. And forgets that he's there with somebody else. You know, how does then? How do you then create a space where a guy can become more present for their partner or whoever they're with at the time? Um, how do you create that space for a guy? Well, I think the first thing that keeps men in their heads and not in their bodies is anxiety. You know, because they're they're trying to do a good job. You know, I mean, they they're. There's so that's it goes back to the shame that's put on men around sex is that they're supposed to like be an expert and know what they're doing and and got to blame porn for that right? <laughs> well, yeah, and also, I mean, it's men's thing. Well, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on men too. Like there, there's something wrong with them if they're not sexually experienced or they don't know this move or I mean, they're and yeah, they they. Porn is for getting off, but it's also the way a lot of men try to figure out how to do things and because they're they're genuinely want to please their partners. So I think a lot of that is is get for men to give themselves permission to not have to perform because it's not sex. It, yeah, the orgasm part of sex is great, but that's the product and the process is the physical pleasure. It's the connection it's feeling touch. It's um, some vulnerability. It's it's all of those things that all of those things encompass sex. So, I mean, I don't I don't see it as something like guys aren't wanting to connect, but there's definitely there's definitely a lot of anxiety there, which I understand. Mm. And you made a really good point earlier for women and in, in the anxiety for women having. Deep psychological, as you mentioned, lobotomies and you know thrown in jail and and just you know, horrific environment for women in the past. That's obviously going to feed through to in an evolutionary manner through to the present in how women feel about sex. So it's a tough one to break down or break through, isn't it, to be able to actually uh, learn that that's not their reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, something that women talk about a lot is a lot of fears of taking up too much space in sex. Like, am I being too loud? 
are my, does the way that I smell, is that off putting, um, a lot of body image issues come up for both men and women during sex. I hear women talk about them a lot more and I think it always makes them feel better when I tell them men are not looking at you and scrutinizing your body. They're just really excited that you're naked. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, yes, we're having sex right now. You know? So is is there sort of one or two uh, key things that women would want men to know about sex? Absolutely. I think women would want men to understand that every woman is different and and that's okay. Um, I, I mean, there's so many different ways that women have orgasms. Some that I've just learned, I just learned about what a cervical orgasm is. I didn't even know that it was called that. Um, and so some women really like clitoral stimulation. Some women want really deep penetration to get that cervical orgasm. Some women don't like penetration sex. I mean, all women are different and all of that is okay. But women tend to feel embarrassed if, um, if, if they have a difference that they think is not normal. So like we're all told that penetration sex is the end all be all of sex. Well, what if that hurts or what if that doesn't feel so great and a woman likes oral sex or something like that? So the more that you can understand that the thing that you did for your last partner, which like rocked the bedroom and she loved it and screamed for like five hours and wrote you thank you notes and all of that kind of stuff. um, That awesome thing may completely flop with another woman. And it's not because you're not awesome, an awesome lover. It's just because that doesn't work for her. And women are very afraid of hurting men's feelings. You mentioned there about pain because, I mean, I I would think we've just had a baby and and we were talking, Pascal and I were talking about sex after a little time after giving birth, you know, after after a woman's gone through Mm -hmm. childbirth when's appropriate to try again uh, or um you know is there pain and for many women there is and in some cultures and, uh, and societies the men are quite um dominant around sex so you know we were sort of saying how um, hard it must be for women to be able to safely have sex again after after giving birth um what expectations do you think a couple can have about getting back into it um, and getting back together in that way I I would say that, again, every woman is different, right? So some women, um, I've I've heard reports of women having sex very soon after birth and not having a problem with it. And other women have taken months to really feel ready for that. And that's not only physical, but on an emotional level. And so I think that a lot of conversation needs to be had. So that's the first thing to know that you need to talk about it. And and then also... um, one thing for men to understand about women is that after having a baby, a woman just doesn't feel like she is in possession of her body completely for a while. And especially if she's breastfeeding, because it's, this is a, a something that used to feel sexy and sexual about me. And now the, it's the, the babies and how do I separate being a mother with, um, with also being a sexual being and having those needs, but feeling like I have an appendage that's missing when the baby's not with me. Um, there's so, there's so much emotionally that goes on that also affects how sex feels. Because if you're, if, if you can't really be in the moment because your mind is with your baby or your mind is, um, is you're, you're, maybe you're really tired and you just would, 
would maybe rather sleep, um, then then that's something to talk about too, and just normalize and and maybe start just with both laying together and doing kind of like what's called sensate focus, where you just focus on the sensation of touching each other and just reconnecting that way and just seeing where it goes. Again, like thinking about sex not as always needing to be about the orgasm. Um, but about the process of pleasure. Mm -hmm. And after having kids, it's tough to create the spontaneity as well around, um, because when when you haven't got kids, you can just do it anywhere, whenever you want. And I think perhaps that's possible here, you know, after having children. But I think that uh, certainly the spontaneity has to become a little more planned, if that makes sense. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, we we schedule sex on our Google shared calendar sometimes. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we have a curious 5-year-old who doesn't stay in a who doesn't stay put and so um yeah, I mean, you really you have to make the time and I think that something that women struggle with is really being able to um, own sex as something that they need to. And and we do. We need that con- physical connection as well. You've also referred to previously in safety and intimacy. Is that what you sort of said earlier around just creating an environment where both the man and the woman feel safe to be vulnerable with each other? Yeah, emotional safety um, is a lot about emotional safety is trustworthiness. And that is not, you know, that that is really what happens mostly outside of the bedroom. Um, and it could be little things like you said you were going to take out the trash, but you didn't. And now I'm stressed out and I have to remind you. Or um, you said that you weren't, you said that you were going to work on this thing emotionally, like you weren't going to yell or you, like you were going to be more kind or something like that. And, and you didn't. Or, um, showing up being on time to something or just literally showing up basically being who you say you're going to be consistently and doing what you say you're going to do. And I mean, that is something both women and men need to from each other, right? To feel emotionally safe and connected. There's things you said there around trash and so on that I'm like, Oh shit, I haven't put the trash out. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, excuse me, can we pause this? (laughs) I said I'd do it and I didn't. I'll do it after. Um, <laughs> you will. Yeah. And see, you could even say, you could call her up and say, hey, I forgot to take out the trash this morning. I'm doing it now. And that would be huge because then she would know that you remembered and you're doing it. And you told her about it because you realize that in this example of the trash, that that would make her feel anxious if the trash is overflowing. So even though maybe the trash thing isn't important to you, you know, it's important to her. So you do it. And she would do things like that for you too. I mentioned earlier that your podcast has a huge variation and there's, uh, I want you to tell us about the segment of the show that's called the shameless sexual revolution. Okay. Can you talk to us about that? I love that one. That that's okay. So that is my favorite thing that we do. Um, and I saw that because your eyes lit up when I said it. <laughs> so basically what that is, is women getting together, drinking wine at a winery and talking about sex. 
And it started, it started off, we called it wine with wine because we were, I was trying to be clever with the name and stuff like that. And, um, and originally we thought we were going to talk more about relationship stuff. And the way it evolved is that we, it, it see, it was very freeing for the women to talk about sex and not so much. I mean, we talk about relationships a little, but it's really more about sex. Like we talk about what are our sexual fantasies? We talk about, um, what kind of porn do women watch? Uh, what kind of porn do we watch? What turns us on? Um, who, who has like, who here wants to, uh, experience double penetration? That was a question somebody had, like just really, um, random questions. And a lot of the questions we get are from view from our listeners. So I'd love to invite any, anybody here listening to send in questions for that. Cause we love questions both for men and women. But we answer those questions. We ask each other questions. And what we're really trying to do is just remove the shame from sexuality in general. I mean, all sexuality. We have um, women on the in the group who's poly, um, woman who's been in the sex industry, um, stay-at-home moms, uh, people. I mean, people from from every walks of life, but we're just normal women. We're people that you would see at a soccer game with our kids. And, you know, you would never imagine that we, these things would come out of our mouths. And that's kind of the power of it is that, um, men can listen to it and learn more about women. But we found that, um, our biggest audience actually is women because women listen to it and they, they feel normal and the, it's removing that stigma and shame and, and, it's fun to learn about all of these things that we're told to keep hush hush and only in the bedroom and only between couples and all of that kind of stuff. But hey, guess what? We do it. And we should as well. I think it should be it shouldn't be a taboo. It should be something that we just naturally talk about, just like we talk about abuse or mental health issues or any of those things. They should just be spoken about without any kind of taboo or stigma. And I find it crazy that they're not, but it, it's the, that's why we do what we do, right? That, so we can get it out there a little bit and help to uh, educate, but also inspire others to, to just be normal and natural about speaking about these things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, the thing is, is that sex is a need just like food is. People are all the time posting what they're eating on social media and stuff like that. Wouldn't it be hilarious if we we're all posting the sexual positions we were trying out or like, hey, I did this yesterday. Has anybody done this? But no, I mean, everybody feels fine talking about the food they ate. That's right. <laughs> there needs to be maybe a social media um, channel that just solely focuses on that. Maybe there's a, there's a niche if anyone's thinking about that. Yeah, don't do it on Facebook though. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, we got we. They will not allow us to boost our posts because of the name of our podcast. They think that we're porn. It's really funny. Wow, wow. What's <laughs> what's next for you, uh, for Tara and Jeff? Uh, what's next for the podcast? What does your year look like? Well, we're going to keep going with Shameless Sexual Revolution and keep that growing. Uh, we're hoping that that can that we can just keep growing that particular show. That's really where the passion is for me. Um, we're going to continue doing interviews and having great conversations like you and I are having today. But that's really going to be the focus. Um, another. Another little spinoff that we do that we've we've had just a few people do this with us is we have couples in conflict that we interview and we it's kind of more of a therapeutic interview, talk through the things they're struggling with. And then we 
connect them with somebody that we've interviewed previously that has expertise on what whatever they're struggling with. And so the one couple that we had that's done this with us so far, we had a um, family, a combined family, and we had a, um, a therapist who specializes in that listen to their interview. And then we talked to her and she gave them her feedback on what they were struggling with. So we we love that one. It, it is definitely hard to get couples who will, who will volunteer that. And I understand, um, how hard that is to talk about those things. Um, and then we also have power couples. So couples who, um, are, are doing really well and want to share with others what works for their relationship. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you so much for being vulnerable, being honest, open and fun. And uh, I do appreciate it. So yeah, thanks Tara. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Oh, one more thing. How can people get hold of you? How can they oh, yeah. watch the show or listen to the show? Oh yeah. Good, good one. So my website is www.makemorelovenotwar.com and they can find me on Twitter at, at Tara Harrison. And Instagram is Make More Love, Not War Podcast. So there's a few avenues there. And the the podcast is on everywhere you can find podcasts. So iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. We'll make sure that is all in our show notes. So anybody listening, go to our show notes and we'll uh, have the links for you in there, as well as the link to our interview where Tara and Jeff interviewed me as well. That's ter- thanks so much guys for li- thanks so much for listening guys that's Tara Harrison makemorelovenotwar.com go and check out what her and Jeff are up to it's a fantastic podcast and I just love the content the mission and the vibe of the show it's just super fun I'm looking forward to bringing you yet another interview next week in the meantime go and check out our Udemy course Optimal Living by designed by myself and my business partner Dan Harrison it's on offer. There's a massive discount. Udemy is awesome because you can post course content and it can be sold for a very low price. So the people who get the course get great value. And, you know, it doesn't make us money. We just think it's great content and we want to get it out there. So please go check it out. The link will be in the show notes. But if you are if you know Udemy, just go to Udemy and search for Optimal Living and you should be able to find our course. If not, flick me a message and I'll send it to you. Much love. See you next time. Ciao for now.